So, can I do some meta talk first? Absolutely. For the for the meta talk for the listener, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you're hearing this episode, then chances are very good I am now a father. Um, <laughs> Katie is also a little bit excited, but she will not be a father at this point. I will be an auntie. Um, so, uh, this is a two-part series we're going to do on a, a book and program that I have referenced on the show many times. We are recording in advance to serve as the episodes to play during my paternity leave, uh, when my son is born, uh, hopefully in late March, but we'll see. Um, anyhow, we wanted to do this in advance and make sure we had something so we don't have to skip any time when we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, enjoy the show and, uh, enjoy being able to sleep at night because that's something that will probably be a fond memory for me at this time. Goodbye, Max's sleep. Mm. Hello, the five choices. <laughs> and baby, but. And, t- and baby For too. today. Yeah. You are listening to Priority a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me! Today's episode, entitled A Math Number of Goals, is the first in our two-part series examining the book The Five Choices by Corey Kogan, Adam Merrill, and Lena Rennie. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 56. Yeah, so what we want to talk about is something I've referenced uh, many times. A Franklin Covey uh, published book called The Five Choices, The Path to Extraordinary Productivity, um, and its related class, The Five Choices to Extraordinary Productivity, which is kind of an awkward name, but oh well. Um, This is uh, the latest incarnation of the main time management training from Franklin Covey, who have been in that that business for something like 35 years, um, producing day planners and uh, corporate and public training seminars and how to how to effectively manage time. And what we're going to do, um, we've both been through at least at least some versions of the um, the various books and, and materials um, about this course. And it's come up so often on the show, we figured we'd spend a couple episodes just sort of talking through what's in this program. Um, sort of a, a bit of a review, bit of reflection on how it relates to other things out in the world and other things we talk about, and to give you, the listener, some background the next time I bring it up, because, you know, based on my track record, I sure am going to bring it up. Mm-hmm. It's true. So really, like, you know, many other moments on the show, it's Max quotes this thing, and then eventually I get into it, too. So <laughs> that's basically why we have a podcast. Mm, yes, yes. To be fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, I think we should start with the introduction, um, because it is the beginning. Uh, a very good place to start, as Julie Andrews would tell us. Mm. In the beginning, there was the five choices. And wait. I think that's what she said. Uh, Genesis 1-5. Um, no, we, uh, so, so just kind of an overview, um, really, really quickly bullet pointed, and then we can talk about, you know, what we've, what we've got in terms of reflections on, the program as a whole. Um, so the five choices is, uh, again, the latest incarnation of a long-running time management seminar. Um, this version, and I'll have some specific reflections on the way that this is true, this version is kind of stripped down versus a lot of the older ones, um, and compared to a lot of things Franklin Covey has done in the past, is not especially tied to a specific tool or, or um, you know, set of tools. 
uh, again, for many years, they produced day planners. They've, they've spun that company off and it's now sort of a partner organization. So this, not surprisingly, this version of the training, you know, you can use it with a day planner. In fact, I, I actually have a five choices branded day planner, um, from Franklin planner, their, their partner organization, but it's really meant to be used anywhere with anything sort of technology agnostic. Um, and it is also compared to a lot of previous versions of the course and, and things they've done, it is very uh, research-oriented. Um, a lot of the ideas are very old uh, Franklin Covey ideas, um, some of them possibly predating Franklin Covey, but it, a lot of them are presented with a veneer of and, and supporting you know quotations from um, various research and, and scientific literature. Um, they, they spoke to a number of psychologists and neurosciences when making... Um, the, the course on which the book is based, uh, and I'll have links to both of those in show notes, uh, in the original version in the course, they, they use the word brain scientists over and over again, which I find kind of obnoxious. Um, but uh, in any case, it's, it's a pretty good program, um, and uh, sort of the controlling metaphor for the whole course is these five choices, which we'll walk through what they are specifically, but these, these dichotomies, two ways of doing things, um, one which is obviously more desirable than the other. Uh, and all of which is meant to help you do three things, which is manage your attention, manage your decisions, and manage your energy better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. um, I've given the summary of it. Katie, you want to you <laughs> give what your takeaways or thoughts were on the introduction and sure, the program sure. as a whole? So, it should be said, uh, dear listener, Max is deeper into a lot of this stuff than <laughs> I am. <laughs> if nothing, because he is older and has been into it just by a sheer number of years larger than, more than I have. Um, so I, I'll sort of be the outsider perspective, I suppose, just because <laughs> relatively I am closer to that end um, than, than Max's. Um, so there is a lot of jargon and a little bit of um, obnoxiousness to some of the language and some of the ways these ideas are packaged, but the ideas themselves... Um, will be common sense the way they talk about them and the way we'll talk about them. Um, yeah, there's some jargon. Yeah, it's a little obnoxious at times. Um, so one thing I will say is they set up the impetus for this system, you could say, this way of thinking about your work um, and decision-making. The impetus is really um, well, what they call the productivity paradox. Um, but all they mean is that we're at a moment, and I think as, uh, you know, any time after the Industrial Revolution, I think this is how humans have felt. Um, it's never been easier to do things and to do cool things and to do efficient things. Um, yet it it remains hard because as these possibilities increase over time with technology and, and quality of life and all that, so increases the incoming flow of information and pressures and... Um, things that would beg our attention and decision-making energy and energy energy, right? So it's a paradox, right? We can do all these great things, and yet we have to make choices about which of those things we'd like to do and how, um, and how not to become distracted or um, how to compromise our priorities to the incoming flow of whatever. So, So for me, the introduction does a nice job of setting up one concept that is really helpful to you know, we've talked about the parts of our work that are super reactive. Um, you know, for instance, for me, when I'm on campus or in a higher traffic area where I could be running into more of the people I work with rather than doing my quality, you know, singular um, 
alone time, individual work. Um, so this principle has been really helpful. Um, the authors point out that the really high value decisions we make where we're doing our best work and prioritizing the really important things in our lives, um, those decisions don't happen in a linear way. It's not necessarily uh, an urgent email comes in and I respond to it right away because you know, the incoming flow is in the right order for the the way that my work should get done, right? So they're talking about how these high value decisions, you could say, aren't necessarily going to be linear. They are things that you have to figure out how to get them done mm -hmm. in this ongoing flow. Yeah. I'm glad you seized on that because I, I had a different takeaway from the introduction I wanted to talk about here. But that that passage about um, you you can't make nonlinear you can't take advantage of nonlinear opportunities in a linear way was one of my favorite mm. quotes when I read the introduction. Mm -hmm. um, and it it was I don't know about last minute, but it was not part of the program. You know that that expression was not part of the the course that launched in late 2011. Um, you know, but it was added in when when they made the book in late 2014. Um, but and it really struck me as as a useful idea. Mm -hmm. You know, not every email that comes into your inbox weighs the same as every other email. It seems to, but you know, if you if you treat them all as important things needing to be done right away, just because they're there. You know, it's, that's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that, that I uh, that I was struck by in the introduction this time, though, thinking about what to talk about here, is um, kind of a time management cliche among among productivity programs for the last couple decades and, and probably beyond. And that is uh, just about every time management book that's any good I've ever read at some point very early on says, you can't actually manage time. Um, which is a funny thing to say in a time management book. There's a, uh, I've linked to it before, a previous Franklin Covey time management course. Uh, their main course when I worked there was called Focus, Achieving Your Highest Priorities. Uh, and it was a more day planner oriented kind of time management course. But one of the first things that the facilitator says in that course as well is you can't manage time. Um, he, I think in that class uses Stephen Covey's phrase from the seven habits, which is you, you can't manage time. You have to manage yourself. Um, but there's a lot of these out there. There are, there are other books that say, you know, David Allen says you can't really manage time. What you need to manage is, is actions. Mm -hmm. Um, there's always some sort of proxy for it. And in this case, they've got three proxies for it. What they say is you can't manage time. You have to manage decisions and attention and energy. Um, I, I think in part that you can't manage time cliche is just because people want to differentiate and say, oh, we're not time management, we're something else, <laughs> which is which is a little disingenuous and douchey. But at the same time, I also think it's, it is a kind of a valuable, interesting idea because time is sort of slippery and hard to get your hands on. Um, you know, we compared in a recent episode um, time to money, you know, and that once you spend it, you, you don't get it back. You can't spend 20 minutes both mowing your lawn and building a doghouse. You can't spend $20 on books and then go across the street and spend 20, the same $20 on coffee. It's gone. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, metaphors like that always eventually break down because time isn't really like that. You can't put it in your pocket. You can't save it up for a rainy day, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the way you get at time is through these proxies. In, in David Allen's case, it's projects and actions. In the case of this program, it's saying, like, you can't really manage the time, but, you know, the what you are doing while you are swimming through that time, you do have some opportunity to, to make alterations on. You will make better use of it if you have better energy. You'll mm. make better use of it if you're not distracted. Um, so it's it's kind of like, you know, no, you can't manage time. Time just is. It mm -hmm. just keeps going. 
but there are things you can manage, and these are the ones that we've chosen to focus on. Mm-hmm. So even though it's kind of cliche, I like it. I like the ones they've chosen here. Mm-hmm. And now, Max, I'm going to spend the rest of the conversation trying to conjure images of what each decision would look like as a swimmer. <laughs> Swimming through time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The stream of time. Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. That's a Doctor Who joke. Oh, okay. <laughs> Reference. All right. Um, mm-hmm. You want to you wanna tell us about choice one? You betcha. So we're trying to, to make a linear conversation out of a conversation about how things aren't linear and don't treat them that way. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to be organized, right? That's what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, so all of these choices... Choices one through five are, are in response to these demands on our um, energy, attention, and, and decision-making possibilities. Um, so choice one uh, sets the groundwork for the ability um, to discern, right? So the authors are talking about discernment, the ability to um, read things for what they are, for what's going on, where you are spending your, your time, attention, and energy, um, one thing I will point out, um, so the authors identify these three, um, sucks on our productivity, um, our, our energy, our, our attention and decision-making. Um, but really I have to point out, I don't know if you noticed throughout the book, um, Carl seems to be the, the fourth suck on time, <laughs> attention, and energy. Yeah. Um, a hypothetical, uh, employee, but no matter, so on the audiobook version of, of these, um, chapters no matter who is reading and pretending to interact with carl carl just seems like the real epitome of of all these problems um (laughs) so we start with um um a sort of case study of of a woman named kiva and um you know among other things in this never-ending flow of of incoming information is this co-worker named carl and carl just sounds like the worst um so she you know she has email requests for different pieces of information and Every morning when she gets to work, it seems like Carl's always there and always, how dare he? This is the worst moment to ask Some, for something. It's almost like he has an emergency like radar that tells him when she's too busy for anything. Mm-hmm. What would be the absolute worst moment to ask Kiva for something? Um, and then they throw in a little uh, social relationship detail, little moment of pressure, and Carl even had the gall to ask her out. <laughs> really, Carl? <laughs> so... So, (laughs) I mean, Carl is a good device in this narrative they've dreamed up because one of the things they try to point out through these examples is that to be a discerning person means that you recognize where the locus of control is in each of these areas of this incoming flow of information and demand and pressure. So, for instance, um, at the beginning of this narrative, in choice one, where we're talking about discernment... um, Kiva perceives that the locus of control for her attention is outside of herself. She has to respond to Carl. God, that guy is everywhere, as the authors say. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, I, and one thing I'll mention, too, is she does kind of... I mean, there the locus of control, at least initially in the book, is in Carl's hands. Because at the end of the day, I think it's still in choice one in that first chapter, um, the description of the end of her workday is she is trying to leave the office plotting a course to take her behind Carl's desk so he doesn't see her go. Mm-hmm. Um, which which I have to say, too, that almost makes me feel like this the fourth force that is that is a suck on her productivity is sexual harassment in the workplace. You know, okay. like it's, it's become a hostile work environment. Like, she's choosing when 
when and how to leave the building based on avoiding this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> we're mostly being flippant about the the authors being flippant about Carl, but yeah, no, Carl is Carl's a menace. He really is. A... I, yeah, I, I did not have a good good feeling about that. Like, I mean, it's totally realistic. That's the problem too. This is mm-hmm. a real problem, but mm-hmm. I didn't have a great feeling about the character of Carl when I mm-hmm. read the book the first time. Like, even beyond him being being a uh, a, a crisis manager and, and mm-hmm. you know. A, a time suck. <laughs> Carl was a creep. Yeah. Yeah. So Carl is the productivity red herring. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the authors did something creepy there. Yeah. So, so all that's to say, so choice one, when presented with the Carls of the world and, and trying to recognize where the locus of control is in a given interaction. Um, so choice one, and like Max said, it's framed as a sort of uh, binary like here here are the two ways you could look at this um choice one is act on the important don't react to the urgent don't react to the carls um, <laughs> or figure out what to do with the don't, carls don't date the carls no no um don't don't get yourself in a situation with the carls talk to hr about carl yeah yeah tell carl what's really up which in the narrative as they continue later kiva figures out what mm-hmm. to do. Um, but yeah, so act on the important, don't react to the urgent. Um, yeah. So you could say too, so they're talking a little bit about each mm-hmm. area of the brain, mm-hmm. the different. Yeah. Um, this is where the, the neuroscience starts to come up. They talk about, you know, they, they call it the, the, um, the reactive brain and the thinking brain sort of separating sort of our, our more automatic instinctual, you know, older in evolutionary terms responses to things. Lizard brain. Lizard brain uh, versus sort of our higher order thinking, our metacognition, our ability to plan and reason, things like that as being more recent. Um, and, and they make a point which is, is true from the neuroscience I'm familiar with um, that it, it does take more energy to, to proactively act on things and make choices than it does just to react. Um, there's, there's, um, anybody who wants to delve more into that, uh, I would recommend the book Thinking Fast and Slow by, uh, Daniel Kahneman, who, who really goes on at length about, you know, the, uh, the, the, what they call the reactive brain in this book and the five choices is really fast and frugal and it's our, our <laughs> default mode because it takes less energy. Um, Whereas to really think things through and, and make good choices takes energy and time and is, is volitional. You have to put effort into it. Um, sort of the tool that they hang all this on, though, is a very old Franklin Covey idea called the time matrix, um, which is a, a two-by-two two matrix, a square, um, divided into four quadrants um, along two axes, which are urgency and importance. And uh, the urgency, of course, is what they're telling you not to react to, and the importance is what they're telling you to act on. Um, the four the four quadrants you end up with by dividing the matrix up are um, what they call quadrant one, which I also I I wish they would number these differently because mm-hmm. it's not numbered like in math. If you're if you remember algebra, you know the quadrant one is the upper left and then it goes around counter or upper right and then it goes around counterclockwise. Um, that's not how it is. It's it's one two across the top, three four across the bottom. Mm-hmm. So uh, so highly important, but uh, and also high urgency is what they call quadrant one. Um, low urgency, but still high importance is what they call quadrant two, uh, low importance, but high urgency, they call quadrant three and low of both urgency and importance is quadrant four. And, and the idea is they want you to, you know, you have to be in quadrant one. That's emergencies, crises, deadlines, pressing problems. It's, it's the quadrants of necessity. Quadrant two is, 
Uh, again, low urgency, but still high importance. That they call the you know the quadrant of, of productivity and balance. Um, I don't remember if that's what they call it in this book. That's what they used to call it. Extraordinary productivity is what they call it in this program. Um, but that's where you're doing, you know, planning, proactive work. You're taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your relationships. You're doing things that really matter. You know, you're making the really important sales call. Not the not the most pressing one, but the one that's going to, you know, result in the best customer relationship, that kind of thing. Quadrant three, high urgency, low importance, um, is the quadrant of distraction. That's things like emails and phone calls that aren't very consequential, but seem like they have to be done now because they're immediate. They're in your face. Um, other people's issues unimportant meetings. It's things that are timely, but don't have a lot of impact. And then quadrant four, which is low on both axes again, is the quadrant of waste. They don't want you to spend much time there. It's busy work, trivial work, um, excessive TV, video games, reading, you know, any anything done to excess, um, things like that. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention here, a lot of mine are going to be sort of about how this program relates to the broader world of, of time management, productivity, business improvement thinking. Um, is uh, <laughs> there's been a rash of articles and blog posts, and it's, it's even in a book, which I will link to in show notes, um, referring to this time matrix, this this urgent versus important graph, um, as the Eisenhower box. Uh, and sometimes it's exactly as Franklin Covey presents. Often it's a little bit different. They'll like flip one of the axes, or there will be specific advice tied to what you should do in each one. Um, you know, with things that fall in each one. Uh, the idea is that Ike Eisenhower, you know, former former general and president for the United States of America, was a very productive and successful individual. Um, and uh, supposedly he had this method of making decisions where he had this matrix of urgent versus important. You know, oh, look at that. It predates Stephen Covey by 30 years. Ike Eisenhower came up with it. It wasn't Covey's. It was Eisenhower's. It's the Eisenhower box. Mirror. Uh, as near as I can tell, and and uh, Wikipedia, which, as we know, is always right, backs me up on this, this idea that it should be called the Eisenhower box or that, that uh, President Eisenhower used this at all arises almost entirely out of a single sentence uh, uh, quotation that he made that where he basically said that, you know, things that are urgent are rarely important and things that are important are rarely urgent. Uh, and based on that, people are now calling this the Eisenhower box. I think that's a load of crap. Um, this I don't know that Stephen Covey came up with this idea, but I have yet to see anybody illustrate or point to a uh, a lengthier textual source where you know Eisenhower is quoted or or shown to be using this kind of tool at all. Mm -hmm. He said this one thing about urgency and importance, and now it's the Eisenhower box. Urgh. Makes me angry. I wish I could do so little and get my name slapped on things. <laughs> He's got his name on all kinds of things. I know. <laughs> he was president. Jeez. He was a very successful That's what person. I'm saying. Yeah, I want to yeah. sneak into something impactful. So anyhow, but <laughs> I, I think the broader point is, um, I, I, you know, to to some extent, I don't know who started this Eisenhower box nonsense. I some part of me kind of suspects it was somebody who wanted to talk about the time matrix, but. You know, at once wanted to seem more original than saying, oh, Stephen Covey had this great idea. Um, but at the same time, like, didn't want to just pretend like they came up with it themselves. So they found this one Eisenhower quote. I don't know. Anyhow, mm -hmm. it's it's possible I've overlooked a source, but I looked and I could not find any evidence that 
Eisenhower came up with this or did anything more than said. And he didn't even have four. Like, he just said things that are urgent usually aren't important, and things that are important usually aren't urgent. Mm. You know, he was just talking about two categories of things, Q2 and, and Q3 in this, <laughs> course, in this in this classification scheme. Right. But anyhow, the point, point being, though, um, at least distinguishing those two dimensions of stuff is an old idea. Um, and that I will give Mr. Eisenhower credit for. And I think it's a <laughs> good idea. It's... Um, this is not actually, this is probably my least favorite part of the book because I, I, as I've said before, I used to work for Franklin Covey. I'm very familiar with these ideas. This was really old hat to me. But at the same time, I think it's something a lot of people haven't thought a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it is pressing, um, proximate, coming up in your face, uh, does not mean it needs to be acted on now or even at all. Mm-hmm. Um, urgency and importance are two different things. And, and, you know, that's a distinction that we should make. When, when you talk about prioritizing, um, if you are going to do that as an exercise, try to rank your activities, you should be thinking about what has the most impact, not who wants to done the fastest or who is in your face or what, you know, this one came from a notification that just came in. So it's hot and new and loud. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be thinking about, does that notification attach to anything that matters for my life? Yeah. And I've been in work cultures or offices where, everyone really is thinking in terms of potential damage. What, who, what would the worst consequence be if I didn't do this? Right. So, Mm -hmm. Oh, big boss is going to be ticked if I don't do this Mm -hmm. today, even though it's not really urgent, that sense of urgency makes it urgent. Um, so those, there will certainly be situations where, you know, we are beholden for silly reasons, right? There, the locus of control is outside ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the authors offer a really nice, uh, set of questions, you know, as they say, you need to have an honest internal dialogue when you do have the ability to make a decision about whether to respond to something or, or choose what to do next. Um, so they would have you thinking about things like, is this activity really renewing? Is it adding to or draining my energy? Uh, and this could be good questions for, um, you know, I'm thinking about what activities that I would consider downtime. So, TV and threes on my phone and um, (laughs) literally doing nothing and sitting on my couch. Um, You know, keeping those things in check, right? Nothing nothing to excess to the point where it's turning us into zombies who are going to have a hard time getting back into work when it's time Mm -hmm. to. Um, Yeah, so so I like that idea of, um, you know, part of discernment is OMG, like, level with yourself and (laughs) be Mm -hmm. honest about, you know, what what is everything? You know, what quadrant right. would it be in? What, how, as you said, how would you rank it? Right. Yeah. And there's, there's a distinction they make. Um, there's only, they're almost kind of dismissive of some of the activities in Q4, uh, just, just on the face of them, but they do make the distinction. Like they're talking about to excess, mm-hmm. you know, there is a difference between, um, spending an entire day watching unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt while sitting on the couch, um, versus, watching an episode or two after a long day at the office to unwind Mm -hmm. Um, or watching them in order to prepare for an episode of our podcast that we recorded last summer. Prep. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's, there is a difference between recreation and, and, you know, sloth for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Is it getting you back on track, you know, helping you go to sleep or get energized or whatever you're trying Mm -hmm. to do, or is it derailing? Right. Right. It's, it's like a very simplified version of, of, um, Susan Cain's, you know, how, how do you tell if you're an introvert or not? Well, do you find other people to be energizing or draining? Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing here. Like, how do you know you're in Q4 instead of in Q2 when mm-hmm. you're doing something recreation or fun? Well, do you feel ready to get back to work when you get done? 
Because if you do, that's recreation. If you feel like you need a nap, <laughs> then you probably were, um, you know, killing time for a little too long. Mm -hmm. Killing a few too many brain cells. To mix all the metaphors, are you going for a swim or being hit by a train? Mmm, yes. I often ask myself that same question. A train full of gravel, perhaps. Mm, Although we're still segue, a couple... Segue, I was going to say. We're a couple choices from that. I'm skipping over one. Not quite. All right. Yeah. Um... I don't have as many comments to make about choice two. Would you like me to introduce that one and then sure. let you run sure. with it? All right. Um, choice two is uh, go for extraordinary, don't settle for ordinary, um, which is sort of cheesy language of saying, um, you know, set very specific uh, uh, goals and focuses for your life and, um, you know, don't be afraid to, to set the bar a little bit high. Um, in this choice, sort of the key activity is the setting of, uh, excuse me, the, 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 the clarifying of roles in your life, um, what roles you play as an individual, as well as setting goals aligned with those roles. Mm -hmm. Um, it makes the distinction, um, the book does that, uh, you play many, many roles in your life. You have a lot of areas of focus and responsibility in David Allen's terms, um, but in order to be really good in the ones that really matter, you should probably pick a small number to focus on. Not that that's all you'll do in your life, but just a few that are going to be sort of your anchors later in the book when they talk about planning. Uh, what they recommend is five to seven, um, roles that, um, you, you clarify in great detail. Like what would it look like if you were extraordinarily good at this? Who are the key people? How do you serve them? You know, what, what really matters in this role? Um, what does it look like when it, when it's done really well? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and the, the formula they suggest for writing out sort of statements of, of how you want to perform in these roles is, you know, as role title, um, I will, you know, achieve what extraordinary outcomes through various activities. So you kind of give yourself a blueprint for what it looks like when, when you're firing on all cylinders, mm -hmm. um, in sort of a, a project management sort of sense, like what will this look like when it's done and done really well? Um, and then they recommend setting goals. Um, they say like one or two Q2 goals, high important, high impact goals for each role. Um, in, and they have a formula for that as well, which, you know, to state it in terms of from X to Y by when, like, where am I now? X, where do I want to go? Y. And by what deadline? Um, I do. I do like this section. Um, I like the idea of focus, of cutting down, of, of trying to do better and more of a little bit less. Um, on the other hand, I also going through the program often feel like they didn't go quite far enough. Um, mm. Like it's really hard to try to narrow my life down to five or, or even seven roles, but at the same time, an awful lot of productivity and success literature advice would say to go even further, you know, like what's your one thing? What are your one or two things? Mm -hmm. Um, and when it comes to goals, I think even more so like, again, it says one or two, you know, high impact goals for each of these roles. Well, if you have one or two goals in five to seven roles, we're talking about, you know, somewhere between, uh, at, a, at the low end, at least five goals. And at the high end, 14 of them, a math number have, of goals. I have 14 high, high impact, high priority goals I need to accomplish. Oh. Um, the, the from X to Y by win formula actually comes from uh, another Franklin Covey training program and book called the four disciplines of execution that I've talked about on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. And there they suggest that like each, each team in your organization have only one or two goals period full stop. 
Mm-hmm. Like that's that's all they're working on as far as goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know how practical it is to get our lives down to that level of simplicity. But if we're talking about like a big, really important goal, you know, I do wonder if if they don't go far enough in saying like, you know, choose your focus mm-hmm. for the current period. Well, and part of it might be recognizing that once you have a very narrow window of what your sense of purpose is, right? So my, my purpose is to serve blank this this thing in the world um i wonder if part of the idea is any sub goals and sub lists will be contributing to that even if they don't seem like it you know so i think that's part of it is um they're suggesting that you can narrow it because anything under that would contribute to it you know they are not in fact separate even though it feels like it mm-hmm. so even thinking about dividing up roles Maybe part of the suggestion is that all of them are interwoven anyway, so, mm-hmm. you know, part of it is arbitrary how you mm-hmm. slice and dice things. Um, <laughs> we're all, in a previous episode, we're all serving the mouse, right? <laughs> Big Mickey is watching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, what was I thinking about? And then let it go. Um, something I appreciate here that the authors... Um, do a disclaimer for is that extraordinary can be a sort of obnoxious word. Um, you know, go, go for great dream, big, blah, 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 blah. Some of that rhetoric can get really old, really fast. Um, but the authors do add a disclaimer that by extraordinary, they mean something like they don't use these words. I'm I'm applying them being a better or best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. So in the things that you want to do, um, and that you want to feel good about, how do you become the extraordinary version of yourself that really does go to bed feeling satisfied and accomplished Mm -hmm. at the end of the day that you do feel like you're contributing to the thing you want to be, not the thing that <laughs> you dream you could be, but never can be. Right. Right. It's no, not, about, not, not in comparison to anybody else. Mm-hmm. That too. Absolutely. Not, um, who does Max expect me to be right now? And, right. and how can I live up to that? And exactly what my husband dreams I can be and exactly what my coworkers mm-hmm. dream I can be. Right. Not about that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, um, this is a more extreme version than what they actually say in the book, but I, I think I'll illustrate the point. Like, the extraordinary version of your role could be like, I get out of bed every morning. You know, if you are somebody struggling with, with, um, you know, a disorder that creates severe energy issues or you've been depressed, you know, extraordinary might just be like, I want to get back up to functioning mm-hmm. like I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's a big goal for you, then that's enough. This book isn't about like, how do you go from that person who can't get out of bed some days to a person who runs marathons and starts, you know, million dollar companies and, um, is the talk of the town. Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's extraordinary to you based on where you are now? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, it's very personal. Um, and, and can be very unique. Like it doesn't have to be this generic, you know, I want to be a great supervisor and manager and you know, uh, when I first encountered this material, the job I was in, I, I still have some kind of similar ideas about my current job, but even more so there, I was very focused at the time on automation. And I, I kind of, you know, wrote up a little role statement for that job that was sort of centered on like, I am, I am working night and day to, uh, basically to eliminate my own job, to make it redundant. I want to get all of this down to where it would be easy to hand off to somebody to where there isn't a lot of work to it, because that's what I perceived as being the most valuable thing I could do for the company. Cause honestly, what I was doing was kind of old fashioned and <laughs> probably shouldn't have been done anymore. Um, 
you know, and I wanted to be the one in control and in charge of doing that. And I did some of that, but then the company sort of went to hell and I don't work there anymore. So somebody else's problem, mm-hmm. you know, it, it can be very unique. I, I didn't put down like, I want to be a, I want to be a coach to my associates. I was like, I want to make my associates roll into somebody else's job and get rid of mine. Cause that would be a real win for the company. Um, and ultimately for me too, cause I didn't love it there. <laughs> See ya. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is important to note. So, so this choice is all about. So to go for extraordinary is to consider your roles, consider what the work of those roles looks like, what you want it to look like. Again, being honest about it. So choices one and two are really about <laughs> being honest and, and realistic about mm-hmm. yourself and and what's going on in life. <laughs> so <laughs> choices one and two, yeah. choose to be honest with yourself. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I. T-Y-F-N. Thanks again for listening. If I could share one quick thing from outside the book about this. Uh, if you're somebody who's like following along and taking notes at home and trying to implement this without reading the book, first of all, I'd say go read the book. Um, you'll have a better go of it. But also, uh, if you're having a hard time figuring out what your small de minimis number of roles would be, you know, your seven or less or even better, five or less. Um, one thing I'd say to think about is like, what are the nouns that you would put in your Twitter bio? Um, you know, what do you, what do you want to tell people about yourself? Um, Merlin Mann has frequently ragged on this, uh, probably most recently on Back to Work episode number 256, um, whose topic statement starts, coder, kayaker, father, person, um, making fun of like the four nouns approach to writing a Twitter bio. But, you know, if you, if you had to describe yourself in terms of four nouns, um, or four verbs for that matter, you know, mm-hmm. what, what would those be? Um, and that might be a good place to start for your pool of roles. Mm. Swimmer, dreamer, coffee lover, dog magnet. <laughs> Woo! Kite flyer. All right. Two choices down, two to go. Mm-hmm.